morning. Pat and Cassandra have breakfast in silence, weighed down by doubts about the previous night, the unspoken between them have become so tangible that it could almost be touched by hand. Pat decided to take matters into his own hands and invited Cassandra to get back on the road. In the car, the radio was playing Laura Nairo with Stone Soul Picnic. Pat found himself humming it and Cassandra couldn't help but smile. I bet you are a singer. In the other dimension, she told him. Pat was amazed and terrified by Cassandra's ability to always grasp the heart of problems with the air of someone who was saying something else. Once again, she seemed to have hit the mark. Another dimension, of course. Why hadn't he immediately thought of it? And how was she able to understand something without first having some more information about the present situation? Angry at himself and frustrated, he fiddled with the radio and finally found peace when the Ohio Express captured him with yummy, yummy, yummy and gave him a half smile. Cassandra, for her part, continued to drive and enjoy the view. Trying not to be influenced by what she had already classified as Patrick's perennial snout. Driving gave her some serenity. A sense of security that seemed to vanish as soon as she was forced to deal with Pat and his questions. She would drive 20 hours a day, even aimlessly, so as not to have to think about how they got here and why. And then her stupid superpower made her worry, especially since Pat seemed to count on it, and she couldn't figure out why yet. Do you know what the first rule of car travel is? She asked him point blank. Pat jumped. The music is chosen by those who drive. So put the channel back on. Pat obeyed. This resolve had struck him and made him feel as small as a child. 
new sensation, which did not seem to correspond entirely to him, and which, however, was intoxicating him with lightness. I put a spell on you by screaming Jay Hawkins, dispelled any perplexity in him. Cassandra had been right once again. I think you're forty-five or something. You're fit. It looks like you've been doing sports, and with your red hair and glasses, you look like a smart guy. Pat looked at her. Cassandra wasn't kidding. Where are we going? He asked her gently. One two four two, Ellsworth Street, Philadelphia. She replied. Pat felt cold. You don't have to worry. It's the most reasonable thing to do. I found your address. You're in the telephone book. It wasn't difficult. Pat tried to put together the thousand good reasons to get out of the car and quit the game, but against all the odds, he just sat there in a kind of trance. I thought that, however things are. If that's where you live, you can discover something about yourself, and perhaps about this whole story. And maybe there will be someone waiting for you—a wife, children, people who love you, and who have missed you. You should feel relieved. I still don't know anything about my person. Cassandra continued to watch the road, while the car's GPS indicated that the destination was only five minutes away. Pat felt his heart beating faster and faster. And had to force himself not to scream. Was it possible that Cassandra did not realise the enormity of the situation? Could it have been a simple twist of fate, a kind of mini-stroke of the universe, perfectly cured? And here we are," she exclaimed, as the radio played "Crystal Ball" by Keen. Pat looked into her eyes before taking a deep breath and getting out of the car. Someone was coming out of the gate. 
of his building and Pat took the opportunity to enter without too many ceremonies. After a small flight of stairs, he found himself in front of the door of the Doyles. A shout of people from inside prevented him from ringing the bell and pushed him to walk around the outer perimeter of the house until he reached the back. Peering through a newly repainted wooden fence, Pat could observe a group of people laughing and talking gleefully around a barbecue and among them a young man who looked just like his perfect double. His hair looked a little less dishevelled than his and he had a light beard, the kind that is fashionable among intellectuals. A young woman was holding his hand and at the same time seemed to be staring of one of the other guests. A shiver went through his back and a feeling of nausea began to stop him from breathing. Almost at the same time, even his double seemed not to feel well because he had started coughing relentlessly while his friends were making fun of him for not knowing how to properly drink tequila shots. Pat thought he had seen another painting, one that neither he nor Cassandra would have been able to modify, and in that apparently perfect image, Pat had seen a crack deep and incurable. No, that wasn't the lacquered life he had ever wanted to belong to. And he ran away. Arriving on the road, he finally felt he could start breathing peacefully. And in his heart, he knew that his double would benefit too. Back in the car, he was relieved to find Cassandra still there, waiting for him. With a smile and a billion questions that would have made anyone want deafness. An absolute fiasco. Just a simple case of sharing the same name. Nothing that solves our questions. He told her right away. So where do we go from here? That was not the kind of truth he wanted to share. Definitely not. 
Atlantic City. We need the money. And we will do it by gambling. Right. Cassandra smiled at him. Then raised her hand from the wheel and repeated the gesture with the magic wand. Sure. What an idiot. We have your fucking superpower. Meanwhile, Sager and Evans were singing in the year 2525. 